Well, hello and welcome to this week's Earth Photographic Life. As you can probably hear, the man flu is still, um, I'm still in the grips of it. Uh, and so my voice is still slightly deeper and more nasally than perhaps is normal. Um, but never mind. Um, I hope it doesn't impair uh, your enjoyment of this week's episode. Um, there's been a lot of talk um, online uh concerning photography and photographic education, particularly photographic education within universities, within academia, over the last week. And it's a contentious issue in which a lot of people seem to hold some very, very strong uh, views, um, diametrically opposed views. And I just thought that this week I might just try and bring uh, some balance to that um, that debate, that conversation, that understanding. Why do I think I can bring some balance to that? Well, I'm an academic, I suppose. I've been lecturing full-time within a university on a photographic course for the last six years. Um, prior to that, I worked in the industry as an art director, um, as a curator of uh, exhibition spaces, as an editor of photographic magazines, launched my own magazines, and I suppose most importantly, for the last 20 years, I've worked as a commissioned photographer and still do so. So perhaps I might be in a position to see things from multiple viewpoints and to wear a series of different hats. So a tweet came out about a week or so ago, I think now. It said this. It always amazes me how outspoken people in photo education are who have virtually no real-world experience. Education graduates straight into teaching criticise actual photographers with decades of work and experience. That kind of followed on to a whole debate, discussion, argument, row. Um, following on from that, I also saw the same photographer put up a poll. Should people teaching photography at degree level and above know how to use a camera? I checked up on that poll before I recorded this podcast and it was 84% hell yes, 16% no ignorance is bliss. Uh, the question is pretty straightforward as to where that person is coming from with that perspective. But some of the comments that were made about that I thought were interesting. Also, Somebody said, do you need to have knowledge of cameras to teach sequencing, narrative, aesthetics, etc.? Photography without a camera, scanography, pinhole, lumograms, etc. History of photographer. Another person said, at university, we weren't taught how to use a camera. That was expected as extracurricular. We were taught theory, understanding, analysis, history, critical and independent thinking, all of which are transferable. We had no classes on exposure evaluation or what button did what. Wow, two extremes. Here's the balance. From my perspective, and I lecture on a course uh, which its intention is to actually get students ready for industry, from a commissioning perspective or from an employment perspective, I suppose the proof of what we're doing is that that course uh, recently won the best photo course in the UK um, awarded by the Association of Photographers so that was a 
an award where the students actually put us forward for it and the association of photographers then decided as to whether or not which course should get the award um to add to that those not in education would not be aware of something called the delhi figures which are figures which are created by the government as to where do leavers actually go once they leave a university once they graduate in the uk and um the last figures that we received for the um the course i, I lecture on was 96 percent employment in the professional industries now here's the balance my take on this is pretty clear really um anybody teaching anything needs to ensure that they have the relevant skills in which to teach that thing. So, I lecture on publishing, uh, photo books, because I've worked in that environment for 30-odd years, in the real world, not in the academic world. And again, that's going to upset people that I say real world or academic world. But I've worked in both, and I continue to work in both, and they are different, okay? Maybe the word real is inappropriate, but I'm just going to use it for the moment. Don't get upset about it. Don't get hung up about it. So I also teach on moving image, on filmmaking, because I have experience of actually making films. I also lecture on getting jobs, um, engaging with industry, because I have been the person who's commissioned that photography. I've been the person who's made those decisions. I've been the person who's interviewed staff, who's run teams and so forth. So I have transferable skills in those areas. I do not teach darkroom technique. I do not teach uh, 10 by 8 processing, or I do not teach cyanotypes, and I do not teach uh, deep art theory because they're not my skill sets, because I don't know about them it would be inappropriate for me to teach them. It would be inappropriate for a plumber to teach a carpenter how to do woodwork on the basis that the plumber had spoken to another carpenter and therefore they knew how to do it. No, a plumber will teach plumbing because that's what they know how to do and that's who I want to learn from. I want to learn from, and I believe, and I spoke to students about this before making this podcast, they want to learn from the people who can actually show that they've done the thing and that they are still currently engaged with doing that thing. So why is that important? Well, again, unless you're involved uh, on a daily basis within universities, you'll not be aware, perhaps that universities are very much um, promoting themselves around employability. Well, okay, the students are now paying in the UK for their uh, education and they want a perceived um, outcome from that. And certainly these are not, uh, this isn't me actually saying this is right or wrong. I'm just reflecting what I see and what I hear. And when I go to open days, uh, and I speak to parents and I speak to the students coming to the universities, the idea of employment or what's going to happen at the end of this degree are absolutely at the forefront of their thinking. So how do we on the course that I teach on achieve that balance? Well, I teach, as I said, areas in which I'm an expert on, and I have two other colleagues who are also experts on areas they teach on. All three of us have experience of working out in industry. 
The one person who doesn't is the person who deals with the theory. And that's as it should be. But the person teaching the theory isn't the person who's teaching lighting techniques. We have somebody with a huge wealth of teaching knowledge and also advertising photography knowledge who works on lighting. That makes sense. They're an expert on that area. And so I suppose that's where I'm trying to find the balance here. Rather than leaping to conclusions that academy is one thing or another thing, maybe what we need to do is ensure that the teams that are teaching photography on you and within universities are balanced. That they're not just defined by whether or not they have an MA or a PhD. But it's important to have one or two of those people in the team, just as it's important to have one or two of those people on that team who have that experience, that first-hand experience of what it's like to be a photographer. As I said previously, and I've mentioned before, I used to work as an art director. And when I stopped working as an art director full-time and started to work as a creative director consultant, I was working as a photographer as well, trying to build up my portfolio and my client base. This is 20 years ago. I was horrified by the way in which some of the art directors treated me. I was horrified. I still am horrified by the some of the phrases and um, the respect or lack of respect a lot of art directors, art editors now have towards photographers. My take on it was <laughs> slightly extreme, I suppose, which was you shouldn't be in a position to commission photography until you've actually been out yourself with a portfolio of your pictures and felt what it's like to open up your heart when you open that portfolio to criticism for somebody else to comment on it. Interestingly enough, I suppose this takes us back to that idea of portfolio reviews again. How can you review someone's portfolio if you don't really know how it feels to have your work reviewed? How can you be empathetic to a situation that you've never been in yourself? It's difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. What also I think is very interesting is just to to flip that one again, is that so many of the paid for portfolio reviews promote themselves on the idea that you're going to hear from people within industry and therefore that's worth paying for. Well, surely if it's worth paying for, then it's absolutely right that the art directors, the art buyers, the picture editors, the photo editors have a role within academia, not just on the basis of a one-day workshop or a talk, but actually full-time. Because as long as the universities promote themselves on employability, it's really important that the people who are giving the information have been employed, but also that they can transfer those skills to that student of employability. That does not mean that there is no space for theory, for analysis, for critical thinking, for independent thinking. Of course there is, but there should be a symbiotic relationship by the t- between the teaching of that theory and the teaching of the practicality. I can say without any fear of contradiction that the course I lecture on has that. Its recruitment is good. 
its outcomes are good, its students are happy, and I think we're doing something right. I'm not saying by any means that we are the only course, and I'm deliberately not naming that course. This is not an advert for the course upon I le- the, le- the course I lecture upon, and it is not me sitting here saying that I've got everything right. But I do think we've got a few things right, and I do think that balance is the key to pretty much everything. David Levinson has been a photographer since he left school. Learning his craft at a Fleet Street press agency, he covered news stories around London, including the Iranian embassy siege, the Brixton riots and the early days of uh, Lady Diana. Uh, Throughout the 1980s, he photographed Princess Diana and the royal family, visiting over 50 countries and producing 16 illustrated books on their travels. That's a lot of work devoted to the royal family. During that time, I was also art directing Tatler, so I know that he must have had a wild time because I certainly knew what was going on. His work is published every week by leading magazines, newspapers and websites around the world, including Time, Newsweek, Vanity Fair, Paris Match, Parry Match, I apologise, The Guardian, The Times, Daily Telegraph, Daily Mail, Daily Express, LA Times, New York Times, The New Yorker, The Spectator, on and on and on. David's work is not only, not only does it appear in newspapers, he's not only a newspaper photographer, David's work is also held uh, in collections in the Museum of Modern Art in New York, the Tate, uh, London and the National Art Library at the Victoria and Albert Museum. Um, With a background like that, with a CV like that, it seems perfectly logical to ask him, what does photography mean to him? When I started out, the British Journal of Photography carried adverts at the back, adverts for entrance into photography. I got a job as a photographer's assistant at a Fleet Street agency, Fox Photos. It was in many ways an apprenticeship because you worked with the older photographers there, you learnt the uh, practicalities of the business from them, and if you worked hard enough and had a little bit of talent, you moved on up the ladder. I think to be successful in photography, it's got to be the passion of your life. If you go off it at half cock, I don't think you're really going to make a go of it. Um, I'm standing in my office now. I have a wall of photography books, books that I've collected for over 40 years now. Um, when the first time I went in the photographer's gallery bookshop, they had about eight books on the wall. Um, and that was it. That was all that was, was being published at that time, back in the, the late 70s. You go in there now and uh, it's wall to wall. with fantastic, uh, beautifully printed work by many, many photographers from all over the world. I've always got inspiration from looking at other photographers' work. Um, You don't copy what other people are doing, but you see and you study it and you try to pick up what makes that picture great. Why would I want to take a picture like that? And to me, a great picture is defined by, do I wish I'd taken that picture myself? I don't think there are many jobs in the world that enable you to live the life in the way that a photographer can. I've been lucky enough to have travelled all over the world, normally at somebody else's expense. I've met the most amazing people. Wish I'd spent more time with them, but you, you're sort of parachuted in and out of people's lives in this job. You meet them, you spend 20 minutes with them, an hour with them, and then you're on to the next story or you're out the door. And it's, it's the people you meet, the, the rich people, the poor people. You just get a great handle on humanity and what's right and what's wrong in the world because you have first-hand experience of seeing stuff. I've been in the most 
you know, awful slums in Delhi and seen terrible, terrible poverty. And I've also seen the obnoxious gold-encrusted uh, interior of the uh, King of Saudi Arabia's palace. I mean, it's literally one end of the spectrum to the other. My interest has always been in documenting daily life, of recording the time that I live in. Uh, one of my heroes is actually an artist, a guy called Thomas Rowlandson, who lived in the Georgian era and did the most amazing paintings and drawings of literally daily life. Now, he's been dead for 200 years, and I see his work published nearly every day. When I was just about to leave school and was toying with the idea of either going into um, news photography or as a news cameraman with, say, the BBC, uh, there was a fantastic documentary series on TV called The World at War. At the end of each episode, they ran a piece of uh, video that showed a very moving scene on whatever the theme of the programme had been. And at the end, they just froze a frame. It might be a crowd of refugees walking across the screen and then suddenly freeze it on one face. And that made my mind up that I wanted to do still photography rather than any moving work because it really emphasised to me the power of the single image. It was really interesting for me to hear David... Um Describe that ending of, of that uh, television program there because it's certainly an image that struck home with me as well and it's, it suddenly reminded me of how powerful that was to me also um, in my understanding of photography um, and what could be done. So um, so thank you, David. I think also what's very really interesting, you know, um, there's somebody who's had an incredible life through photography um, who's passionate about photography but whom didn't go through that whole situation of theory and so forth and um, critical thinking can be learnt in many different ways as can independent thinking it doesn't always have to be learnt uh, in the lecture room and transferable skills are probably one of the things I think that um, as photographers um, we really have to offer in a, in a number of different ways I wrote an article uh, about a week or so ago called I think it's called something like um where, where next for photography? It's on the um, United Nations of Photography dot com website, and it's very much talking about this idea of us as visual storytellers moving into the areas of um, AI or game playing or uh, filmmaking or moving image or animation. There's so many areas that we can transfer our skills into. And if I go back to that idea of the lecturing of photography that we spoke about, that I spoke about at the beginning of this podcast, then um, I suppose really where I am with photography from a, from a lecturing perspective, from a teaching perspective, is to teach it not on, as the idea that we're teaching lots and lots of photographers to be photographers, but that we're teaching people to understand photography, to enjoy photography, to be passionate about it, to be engaged with it, but also then to see it within lots of different areas um, as a form of visual communication on a global perspective. And its application within areas perhaps is the most important thing that we can teach. Anyway, that's just my opinion. I'm sure you have yours. And I'm sure that uh, a lot of people will 
take against some of the things I've said. Maybe some people will be nodding their heads listening to this and saying, yeah, I agree with that. I think the most important thing of all, and in a week where I've seen a number of people online stating that they are no longer either going to getting engaged in debate or conversation, or alternatively, they're going to um, change the types of comments that they're going to be making online in future for fear of um, overly zealous uh, comments being made, which are perhaps not so based on fact, but based more on a person's opinion, um, which is not that informed about the person who made the original comment. I'll just leave it at that for the moment. I'm not taking sides here, and I don't ever uh, like to get involved in arguments. I do like to get involved in dialogue, though, and I think dialogue should be mutually respected. So if you don't agree with what I'm saying, that's great. Let's have a mutually respectful conversation about that. If you do agree with what I've said this week, then that's great also. Maybe we'll have a, a conversation about that. But perhaps, as I say every, every week, the most important thing is just to take care. <laughs>